0: And proceed, uh, we ask everyone to please stand for our opening prayer. Everlasting Father, yes. our gracious, merciful God, Yahuwah, Amen. your people once again assemble before your presence yes. from different places across the world. Yes, We gather for one purpose, yes. to glorify you and to learn from you. Yes, We can apply daily in our life. That, Father, we can go, grow closer to you. Amen. We ask that you please protect and bless us. Yes. And may you please be with us and as we study your holy words together. Amen. Our Messiah, our Lord Yahusha. Yes. we also pray to you at this time. Yes. Please strengthen our faith and be with us as we gather in your precious name. Amen. Father, we believe that you have listened to our prayers. Yes. We ask everything Amen. in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahushua HaMashiach. Amen. Amen. Okay. All right, Uh, precious be to our Father in heaven for gathering all of us together for this episode of the Bible History Project. It is entitled Righteous Restitution because we continue with the laws the commands of God that he gave to the people of Israel so that they can maintain peace and also uh, harmony as they gather together and as they journey together to the promised land. You will see these laws are very applicable to us today because they exude fairness and justice and righteousness, which we all need so that we can also maintain our harmonious relationships with one another. Now we're going to go to the section concerning the laws of God concerning repayment. And so let's begin with Exodus chapter 22, verse 1. If someone steals a cow or a sheep and kills it or sells it, You must pay five cows for one cow and four sheep for one sheep. The Bible says do not steal, right? It's a command of God, one of the Ten Commandments. What happens if you are caught stealing? Well, you have to pay restitution. And this is what it's all about in the following chapters of Exodus, the book of Exodus. So what happens if someone steals a cow or someone steals a sheep? Bible says he must pay it back. However, not just pay it back. If you steal one cow, you have to pay what? Five cows in return. If you steal one sheep, you have to pay four sheep in return. Why is that? You have to remember, keep in mind, during the days of the people of Israel, livestock, that was their source of income. And so basically when you steal sheep or cow from them, you're taking away their source of income. So it's but right, and if you steal one, you pay five you steal one you pay four when it comes to sheep and also we have to factor in the law concerning emotional suffering right it's a tax on emotional suffering they should not have done that in the first place well what if the one who steals your animal cannot afford to give you five times as much or four times as much the book of exodus 22 verse 4 he must pay for what he stole, if he owns nothing, what does it say? He shall be sold as a slave to pay for what he has stolen. We talked about this at length in our previous episode. If the stolen animal, whether a cow, a donkey, or a sheep, is found alive in his possession, he must pay two for one. a thief is caught breaking into a house at night and is killed. The one who, is kill- who killed him is not guilty of murder. But if it happens during the day, he is guilty of murder, okay? So if someone tries to steal some of your livestock and you happen to kill them, well, you're have to. you not guilty of murder if you do it at night. But if it's done during the day, then you are guilty of murder. What does this show us about this law? It tells us that God values life more than animal, right? God values life more than animal. Property. Not only that, God is also particularly concerned about whether or not the killing was accidental or not. We talked about this at length in our previous study last week. Well, what if someone lets his animal graze and it causes damage to somebody else's property? Exodus 22 verse 5, if someone lets his animals graze in a field or a vineyard, and they stray away and eat up the crops growing in someone else's field. He must make good the loss with the crops from his own fields or vineyards. This is proper and fair and right. Well, what if someone starts a fire, it spreads, and it destroys somebody else's field? What do you think is the proper thing to do is? Well, Let's find out in, verses, in verse 6. If someone starts a fire in his own field and it spreads through the weeds to someone else's field and burns up grain that is growing or that has been cut, and stacked, the one who started the fire is to pay for the damage. Again, this is fair. This is just. Well, what if someone wants to or someone agrees to take care of someone's money? Or other valuables what laws of God govern these kinds of agreements let's read Exodus 22 7 to 8 if someone agrees to keep someone else's money or other valuables for him when they are stolen from his house the thief if found shall repay double but if the thief is not found the one who was keeping the valuables is to be brought to the place of worship and there he must take an oath that he has not stolen the other one's property and so if one agrees to keep someone else's money or valuables and then somebody steals it then bible says we have to repay double but if the thief is the thief will have to repay double but if the thief is not bound what is the person who has agreed to watch over your valuables what does he or she have to do You have to go to the place of worship and take an oath that he has not stolen the other person's property. And so, this in the Bible tells us that we can involve God in some of these disputes whenever human intervention is not enough. As a matter of fact, as we will learn further, there are ways by which the Bible teaches so that we can receive the blessing or the guidance of God when it comes to settling these kinds of disputes. Now, how about dispute concerning property? What is the law of God concerning that? Let's read verse nine. In every case of a dispute about property, whether it involves cattle, donkeys, sheep, clothing, or any other lost object, the two people claiming the property shall be taken to the place of worship. The one whom God declares to be guilty shall pay double to the other one. Isn't that nice? God himself will intervene, right? It's what It was one of the benefits of living during that time. God sometimes chose to declare who is guilty and who is not, what should be done, what should not be done. But For the most part, uh, those who made decisions like that were the judges appointed by God through Moses. Sometimes God himself is the one to intervene and makes declarations like, this. Well, what if someone agrees to keep a donkey or to keep sheep? In our previous verse, we talked about a person who agrees to take care of your possessions, like money and other valuables. But what if this person agrees to take over your business or to watch over your cattle and livestock? What is the rule and law of God concerning that? Exodus 22, 10 to 13. If anyone agrees to keep someone else's donkey, cow, sheep, or other animal for him, and the animal dies or is injured or is is carried off in a raid, and if there was no witness, the man must go to the place of worship and take an oath that he has not stolen the other man's animal. If the animal was not stolen, the owner shall accept the loss and the other man need not repay him. But if the animal was stolen, the man must repay the owner. If it was killed by wild animals, the man is to bring the remains as evidence. He need not pay for what has been killed by wild animals. Now, why why was this law put into effect? That's because we have to keep in mind a donkey, a cow, a sheep, that is a source of living for the people of Israel. So it's not just valuables or possessions. It actually is a source of income for those who own these animals. It's why God has given these laws to make sure if one agrees to take care of somebody else's livestock, it should be done properly. Well, what if someone borrows an animal and something goes wrong? Interesting. And God has a law concerning that. What, what are they? 14 down to 15. Someone borrows an animal from someone else and it is injured or dies, when its owner is not present, he must pay for it. But if that happens when the owner is present, he need not repay. If it is a rented animal, the loss is covered by the rental place. And so so those are the laws of God concerning repayment or proper restitution. Now, we're going to go next into moral and religious laws. In Exodus 22, verse 16, if a man seduces a virgin who was not engaged to anyone and has sex with her, he must pay the customary bride price and marry her. I guess even during that time, there were people who have the ability to seduce. Right? And if you were to engage in fornication with a virgin, then you have to marry her, which reminds me, when we were still in the church where we came from, sometimes if you, have, if you had committed fornication with someone, you were forced to marry them, right? And so this, uh, in Exodus 22, verse 16, it mentions that. However, it was not absolute. Why not? In verse 17, but if her father refuses to let him marry her, the man, must still pay him an amount equal to the bride price of a virgin so it's not a necessity that the two get married it still is up to the father because the father can refuse to let him marry her and so this was god's law during the days of moses now who are not allowed to live you might be surprised by this but for some reason god includes this Here in the middle of all these commandments and laws, what is that? The book of Exodus 22, verse 18, you must not allow a sorceress to live. And So if you were a sorceress, and I'm assuming if you were also a sorcerer, doesn't really matter, if you're a sorcerer or a sorceress, you are not allowed to live. In other words, you are to be put to death. Now, what does that mean, to be a sorceress? Be a sorcerer in other translations of the Bible, Exodus 22, verse 18, yes. the NC the NCW put to death any woman who does evil magic. Now, when it says the Bible mentioned magic, it's not referring to the type of magic that you see sometimes for the ram performs, right? It's like uh, those are that's a different kind of magic. <laughs> It's uh, entertainment. That's entertainment. But when it comes to magic involving evil spells and incantations and tapping into a spiritual world, an underworld or a dark world, dark forces, when you witch- dabble in witchcraft and the occult, well, that's a different story. The Bible calls that evil magic, and those who practice that are called sorcerers or sorceress, and they must be put to death, who also must be put to death. Now, before I go ahead and show you, for those who are maybe minors who are listening to this program right now, I'll give you an opportunity to kind of go out that door, because maybe you don't want to hear what I'm about to read next, but it God includes it. What is that? In the book of Exodus 22, verse 19, anyone who has sexual relations with an animal must certainly be put to Death. That's pretty gross, right? And God is so gross by it. The Bible says that person has to be put to death. He's way perverted. What else? Who else? What else does God tell us uh, concerning his laws and commands? Exodus 22:21. 21, you must not mistreat or oppress foreigners in any way. Remember, you yourselves were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. So one thing God is against that is Oppression. What is the definition of oppression? It's when you use your power, your authority, instead of helping people who are helpless to abuse them, to control them, and intimidate them for your own personal agenda. God doesn't like it when people oppress other people. Ever since the very beginning, up until the very present, God is against those who are oppressors. This is why we should rather side with. Those who are oppressed than those who are the oppressors because God is against those who are oppressors. Now, what else does God decree, which can also be related to oppression? Exodus 22, 22, 24. Do not mistreat any widow or orphan. If you do, I, Yahuwah, will answer them when they cry out to me for help, and I will become angry and kill you in war. Your wives will become widows, and your children will be fatherless. God takes this very personally. Yes, we must not oppress um, the foreigners, but God takes it at a personal level when we oppress widows and orphans. Why? Because when you think about the helpless people of the world, basically we can say they are widows and orphans especially during the days of the Bible. Because during the days of the Bible, whether we like to admit it or not, I mean, because of the culture of the world, and the Bible was beginning to radically shift that, there was a tendency to oppress women, right? And so if you were a woman and you're a widow, you were completely helpless. A so good thing the Bible brought changes to that. This is why many scholars and people, today believe that because of the Bible, we now have equality between men and, women nevertheless during that time people i mean women were oppressed so widows and orphans they represent those who are truly helpless bible says if one will mistreat a widow or an orphan god will punish them this is why it's not right if a widow would live in fear do you know of any widows who live in fear orphans who live in fear you know, if they live in fear, whoever is inflicting the fear should be- should better watch out because they are incurring the anger and wrath of God against them. Now what also can be considered as mistreating? In other translations of the Bible, in the NLT, Bible says, you must not exploit a widow or an orphan. if you exploit them in any way, and they cry out to me, then I will certainly hear their cry, my anger will blaze against you. Bible says, do not mistreat, do not oppress widows and orphans. The Bible also says, do not exploit a widow or an orphan. And Bible mentions, do not exploit them in any way. Apparently there are numerous ways by which you can exploit widows and, Orphans, for example, using their name for your advantage. God does not want that. Exploiting the name of a widow or an orphan for your personal gain is against the will of our almighty God. Well, how about lending money? What does the Bible say about that? Exodus 22, 25, 27. If you lend money to any of my people who are in need, do not charge interest as a money lender would. If you take your neighbor's cloak as security for a loan, you must return it before sunset. This coat may be the only blanket your neighbor has. How can a person sleep without it? If you do not return it, and your neighbor cries out to me for help, and I will hear, for I am merciful. know the Bible brings a distinction between the people of Israel and the other neighboring countries. The other neighboring countries, whenever someone would borrow money, the lender would charge what? Interest. The Bible changes that. The Bible says, no, do not charge interest. Why? Because if they're already in need of money, why would you add to their problems? You see, the Bible wants to show the people of God that we need to be merciful. We should not take advantage of those who are in need. Rather, we need to help those who are in Be merciful to them. This is why the Bible says, I am merciful. God wants us to be merciful like him. Now, what does God also prohibit us from doing? Exodus 22, 28, do not speak evil of God and do not curse a leader of your people. And so if there are people appointed by Moses to lead different tribes, Bible says, do not curse these leaders. Why not? Because if we curse these leaders, we undermine their authority and they will not be effective in leading the people of God. Now, does it mean we cannot show fault? Does it mean we cannot criticize? We can. As a matter of fact, Moses was criticized for how he was handling the cases of God's people, all right? And he took that very well and implemented the suggestion that was given by the one who made the criticism. And so, yes, we should criticize. Yes, we should show false. But we must never curse a leader of God's people. Now, what also is God's command? Exodus 22, 29 to 30, you must not hold anything back when you give me offerings from your crops and your wine, you must give me your firstborn sons. You must also give me the firstborn of your cattle, sheep, and goats. But leave the newborn animal with its mother for seven days. Then give it to me on the eighth day. What also is God's command? It's about making God priority. How do you make God priority? From your crops, you give the best of your, uh, your harvest. You give, don't hold anything back when you give offering to God. Even your children, the firstborn is to be dedicated to who? Our almighty God. And even the animals and the sheep, it must be dedicated to God. God must be priority at all times. And lastly, book of Exodus 22, verse 31, you must be my holy people. Therefore, do not eat any animal that has been torn up and killed by wild animals. Throw it to the dogs. So the purpose of God's laws is to make the people of Israel distinct, set apart, or holy, different from the other people of the world. That's God's purpose in giving these laws and commands. But there's also another reason why God is so specific. You notice after giving the ten commands, it was general, right? And all of a sudden, you have these regulations and ordinances, and it was not very general. It was very specific. Why was that? Well. In the book of Exodus 18, 20-22, you should teach them God's commands and explain to them how they should live and what they should do. But in addition, you should choose some capable men and appoint them as leaders of the people, leaders of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They must be god fearing men who can be trusted and who cannot be bribed. Let them serve as judges for the people on a permanent basis. They can bring all the difficult cases to you. But they themselves can decide all the smaller disputes that will make it easier for you as they share your burden. What does God know about human beings? What does he know about human beings? They often dispute with one another. Isn't that true? I mean, if you live in a house with 10 people, you're going to have disputes. If you have an organization or a congregation of 100 people, you're going to have a lot of disputes. A thousand people, you're gonna get disputes every day, right? As a matter of fact, when I was still a pastor from the institution, when I was assigned a certain local, more than preaching the word of God, what I had to do was handle cases. God knows, God knows that people are going to have conflict with one another. There'll be difficult cases, smaller disputes. And so God knows this, and so God has given laws ordinances, regulations, judgments, and what is are their purpose? Its purpose is so that those who will be appointed as leaders, those who will be like judges making decisions when people are in conflict, well, they will have guidelines. They will use the commands of God so they can make the proper decision concerning people who are disputed one another. Make sense? It makes sense. And it makes so much sense this last passage actually leads to the question that we have. We're only, going to dis- we're only going to discuss one question, but it's a pretty lengthy answer. Okay, we're already done with Exodus chapter 18. So we're going to go to our mail, our mailbox. And the mailbox is this uh, in Tagalog. It says, paano yun sila an sa langit? Dahil word for word, ang iglesia? Antikristo. Umanap ka ng talata na nagpapaliwanag, Wag galing sayo. We'll discuss the first part of this just for today. Paano sila sa langit? Now, when you say talian, what is that in English? Bind, right? How can, there be, how can they be bound in heaven? And so this is, the question is about being bound on earth, which means being bound in heaven. How many here have heard of that argument before? That if you are not bound on earth, you are not bound in heaven. And if you're not bound in heaven, then you're not going to be saved. Have you heard of the argument before? We hear it all the time. This is why there are people who do not want to be removed from a church's registry. Right? They're afraid of being delisted from a registry. Because they think that if they're delisted from the registry, they're not going to be saved. They're no longer registered in heaven. This is why we're going to study this in depth. And the basis of this question is really a passage in the Holy Scriptures. What is that passage? Matthew 18:18. 18, 18. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. How many here have read this passage of Scripture before? We've read this many times. Unfortunately, there are people who misuse this passage to intimidate people. Right to control people, to inflict fear against people. That's not the purpose of this passage, and you're going to find that out today. We're going to study the three myths about Matthew 18, 18, and we're going to debunk it. Is that okay? We're going to debunk the three myths about Matthew 18, verse 18. Now, what are these three myths? Number one, if you were not listed in the church registry, then you were not listed in the book of life in heaven. Right, how many here believe that? I guess we used to believe that, right? But no more, that's, another, that's one myth. What's another myth? The executive minister has the authority to add or subtract names from the book of life. If he has power in his pen, if he has approved, then automatically in heaven, it's approved. Well, is that true or is it a myth? Number three, the binding and loosing mentioned in Matthew eighteen eighteen refers to the adding and subtracting of names from the book of life. Is that true? Or is it a myth? We will show to you and prove to you that these are myths. We're going to show you these three myths from Matthew 18, 18 are not true at all. So let's begin with number one. If you are not listed in a church registry, I'm not specifying which church, because there are some church organizations in the world today, who believe their registry is the registry you want to be in to be saved. There are many different religious organizations like that. Okay, for example, uh, Waco. Who was the uh, religious leader back in Waco? David Koresh. That's one of them. But there are many others who use Matthew 18.18 and say, if you're not with us, registered in our group, you're not going to be. Say What is the belief? What did we used to believe? That the church registry, that is the book of life, right? And so if you're not in the church's registry, then you're not in the book of life. Is that true? Can't be true. Why not? Well, first of all, there's no biblical verse that states that the church registry is the book of life. Now, when I say that, I may be wrong. If I'm wrong, please let me know. Give me a biblical verse that shows that the church's registry is the book of Life, Because when you read Matthew 18, 18, it doesn't even mention Book of Life, does it? It doesn't mention Book of Life. It doesn't even mention a register. What does it say? Bind loose. It does not mention the Book of Life. So what biblical verse do we have that shows that the church's registry is the Book of Life? I can tell you now, there is no verse that says that. Well, what does the Bible tell us about the Book of Life? The Book of Revelation 20, 12 and 15, this is the reason why we need to study about the book of life, because of its ramifications. Why? This is what it says in Revelation 20, 12, 15. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. Books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. This is what we are studying right now. We want to know what the book of life is. And the dead were judged according to the works by the things which were written in the books. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is why it's so important to know what the book of life is and what the role of the church is concerning the book of life. Is the church's registry the book of life? Well, if it is so, and if you're not in the church's registry, what's going to happen to you? You're going to be cast into the lake of Fire, so you're gonna be afraid. Oh no, my name's gonna be delisted from the registry. I'm gonna to go to hell. I'm gonna to go to the lake of fire. When you have that kind of thought, it can be very intimidating, right? They can use that as a tool to control you, they can use that as a powerful influence to control your thoughts. This is why the Bible says we need to test all things. Is it true that the church's registry, doesn't matter which church it is. Is it true that the church's registry represents the book of life? No, why not? Because if it does, then what would happen to the people who are going to be saved before the church age or before these registries were formed in the first place? For example, back in the days of the patriarch, there's a person named Enoch. After that, Enoch lived in fellowship with God for 300 years and had other children. He lived to be 300. 65 years old. He spent his life in fellowship with God. And then he disappeared because God took him away. Apparently God loved Enoch, right? You think Enoch's going to go to the lake of fire? I don't think so. Is he, in, is he listed in some church registry today? What do you think? Well, I don't think so. He's not, right? Who else? Second Kings 2, 11, 12. They kept talking as they walked on and suddenly a chariot of fire, pulled by horses of fire, came between them. And Elijah was taken up to heaven by a whirlwind. Elisha saw it and cried out to Elijah, my father, my father, mighty defender of Israel, you were gone. And he never saw Elijah again grief. Elisha tore his cloak in too. Here's another one. Elijah, is he gonna be saved? Yeah, he's already with God in heaven. So he's gonna be saved is he listed in the church's registry What is your answer no he is not you're not going to look at someone's church's registry is elijah the prophet listed there it's not right who else hebrews 12 verse 23 to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven to god the judge of all to the spirits of just men made perfect here the first century church of christ What does the Bible say about them? Their names are registered where? In heaven. Are these names also registered in the registries of churches today in this earth? No. Does it mean they're not going to be saved? No, because the registry here on earth, that's not the book of life. What else is a good example? This is a perfect example of why the church's registry is not the book of life. Luke, the book of Luke 23, 39 to 43, one of the criminals hanging there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. The other one, however, rebuked him saying, don't you fear God? You received the same sentence he did. Ours, however, is only right because we are getting what we deserve for what we did. But he has done no wrong. And he said and he said to Yehusha, remember me, Yehusha, when you... Come as king, Yahushua said to him. I promise you that today you will be in paradise with me. Here's this uh, thief next to Yahushua, the Christ hanging on the cross, right? What did he request, Yahushua? He says, bring me to paradise with you. Remember me. And what does Yahusha say? I promise you that today you will be in paradise with me. Here's a question I want to ask. Is this man's name listed in the church's registry? I don't think so. Was there even a registry among the first century church of Christ? It's not in the Bible. There's a registry in heaven, yes, but there's no registry here on earth concerning those who are going to be saved. It does not exist. And so because this thief's name is not recorded in the church's registry, will he not be saved? Well, what did Yahushua say? He says, I promise you that today you will be in paradise with me. So even if he's not listed in any kind of registry, Yahusha says, you're going to be saved. And this is why we should not believe that the registry is the book of life. Now one might say, well, brother, maybe the registry of the church today represents the book of life in a chapter that pertains to the ends of the world or the ends of the earth during our time. Could that be the case? This is what Brother Iran Yamanala taught in a June 15, 2000 worship service lesson. The question he posed was Is there a danger that a name which is already listed in the book of life could be erased or blotted out? In Psalm 69, 27, 28, it says, There were those listed, but were what? blotted out and then there's the note the explanation god doesn't want the wicked to enter his kingdom with his righteous children hence even if a person is in the nation of god now in other words if he's even if he's listed in the registry now he could still not be saved if he does not renew his life god has decreed that he would erase or blot out from the book of the living the names of those who would continue to live in sin this is why even if one were to claim, their registry is the book of life in heaven. God can change that. He can add and subtract whomever he wants to add or subtract. Can God do that? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, according to Brother Irani Manalo, it's even possible that you can be listed in the church's registry on earth, but your name is blotted out in god's kingdom based on psalms 69 27 to 28 keep a record of all their sins don't let them have any part in your salvation may their names be erased from the book of the living may they be, be may they not be included in the list of your people therefore a conclusion we can make about the registry of the church here on earth and the book of life in heaven We can make two conclusions. Number one, there are names listed in some church registry, but are not listed in the book of life. Why? God can subtract any name he wants. Number two, there are those who are not listed in the church's registry, but are listed in the book of life, just like the thief. And so no matter which way and which angle you use to look at this, this, the church's registry here on earth, that is not the book of life that is in heaven. Okay so that's the first myth debunked. Let's go to the next question. The executive minister has the authority to add or subtract names from the book of life. I want you to think about that. The executive minister is he a man? Yes. Yeah and so this man has the authority to add and subtract names from the book of life. What would that mean? It would mean he would have power to send people to heaven and send people to hell why because the book of life that's the list of those who are going to be saved if you're not in the book of life then you're going to go to hell so if the executive minister has authority to add or subtract then apparently he has authority over heaven and death right he can send people either to death or to eternal life that's a lot of power that's a lot of power for a man to have. And so let's go ahead and take a look at this uh, myth about Matthew 18, 18. All these, all of these three myths come from Matthew 18, 18. And when we look at this part, the executive minister has the authority to add and subtract names from the book of life. Does God allow this? Let's read here, the book of Exodus 32, 30 to 32, 32. Uh, the next day, Moses said to the people, you have committed a terrible sin. And so Moses, the leader of God's people, he's speaking to the people israel and he said you have committed a terrible sin but now i will go up the mountain of yahuwah perhaps i can obtain forgiveness for your sin moses then returned to Yahuwah and said these people have committed a terrible sin they have made a god of gold and worshipped it please so moses is begging on their behalf please forgive their sin but if you won't then remove my name from the book in which you have written the names of your people. Here's Moses pleading on behalf, of his pe- on behalf of the people of Israel. He's telling God, please forgive them, but if not, blot out my name, remove my name. You know, if there's one person who should have authority over the book of life, I don't think it's any of us here on earth today, right? I would say it be Moses. Why? Because Moses is basically the counterpart of the Christ. He's like the mediator of the first co- of the old covenant. That's Moses. And so, when look at the authority God gave to Moses. That's wow. He has a lot of authority. God speaks to him face to face. But does he have authority to add and subtract names from the Book of Life? No. This is why he's requesting God remove my name, not theirs. Moses did not have the authority to add or subtract from the book of life. Who does? In Exodus 32, 33, Yahuwah answered, It is those who have sinned against me, whose names I will remove from my book. Who has authority over the book of life? Who has the authority to add, to subtract names from his book? God does. Yahuwah Almighty does. Not any man here on earth, and so if anyone will believe the claim that a person here on earth has the power to add or subtract from the book of life, then they're going against God Himself. They're going against God Himself, not only God, they're also going against this someone else. I wonder if you know who it is who also was given the right because when this happened, this was before Yahusha the Christ. But when Yahusha the Christ was sent by God and has given him authority and power over heaven and earth, who also was given the right to add and subtract from the book of life. Hmm. Let's read the book of Revelation 3, verse 5. All who are victorious will be clothed in white. I will never erase their names from the book of life, but I will announce before my father and his angels that they are mine who also has the power and authority to add and subtract names from the book of life in heaven Yahusha the christ you notice what he said he said i will never erase their names from the book of life well what if Yahusha looked at some church registry and said oh i'm sorry i cannot i have to erase your name from the book of life because in this church's registry here you're not there anymore is that what yahushua is going to say of course not the one who has power and authority over the book of life is Yahusha HaMasiyah. What is the equivalent of adding or subtracting from the book of life? If you had that power, if you had the authority to add and subtract from the book of life, right, what kind of authority is that? Revelation 3, 7, 2, 8 Write this letter to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. This is the message from the one who is holy and true, the one who has the key of David. What he opens, no one can close and what he closes, no one can open. I know all the things you do and I have opened a door for you that no one can close. You have little strength, yet you obeyed my word and did not deny me. What is the equivalent of claiming that you have the power to add and subtract from the book of life? It's like you claim the the keys of David. What What does the one who has the key of David able to do? He can open so that no one can close. He closes, no one can Okay. You know, there are people today who claim that kind of authority. Whatever decision they make, you cannot rebut, (laughs) right? It's absolute. Do you know people like that? You know, organizations like that where the leader claims whatever he says, it's like the law of God, (laughs) right? But Yahushua says, whoever can do that has the key of David. Well, who is that? Who is that who was given the key of David? Who do you think that is? Who has the key so that he opens and no one can close? And what he closes, no one can open. To whom was that key given to? Let's read Revelation 1.18. I am the living one. I died. But look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and the grave. To whom was that key given to? The key that gives you power over death and the grave. Who was that given to? It was given to Yahusha, the Christ. This is why he has power to open so that no one can close and to close so that no one can open. That authority was not given to any man. Not even the executive minister has that kind of authority or power. And so if there are those who believe that the executive minister has the power to close so that no one can open and to open so that no one can close, guess what? They have replaced Yahusha. They have replaced Yahusha the Christ. No one has been given that power and authority except the one who died and lived again and lives forever, none another, than Yahusha HaMashiach. This is why we believe the one who has power to add or subtract from the book of life is who? Yahusha HaMashiach, not the executive minister, not the ministers, no. Remove that from your mindset. That is wrong, wrong, wrong interpretation of Matthew 18, verse 18. Well, how about the other myth? Myth number three. The binding and loosing refers to the adding and subtracting of names from the book of life. And many people believe this. It is as though when the executive minister adds a name to the registry, God will add the name in the book of life. If he will erase, God will erase. Where Where does this come from? Matthew 18.18. 18. Let's go read Matthew 18.18 18 again. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. In Tagalog, what does it say in Tagalog? ng inyo? Talian sa lupa ay nakatali sa langit. The word tali does not mean tala. Because there are those who interpret Matthew 18.18 and 18, say, And then you translate tala to registered. It does not say there. Surely I say to you, whatever you register on earth will be registered in heaven. Whatever you unregister on earth will be unregistered in heaven. That's not what the Bible is, that's not what Matthew 18.18 18 is not telling us. It's telling us about binding and loosing. What does that mean? Does that mean registering and erasing the name of those who were registered? What does it mean to bind? What does it mean to lose? Brethren, what we're going to do now, we're going to look closely at Matthew 18, 18. We're going to scrutinize it, comparing scriptural truth with scriptural, and look at the context of Matthew 18, 18. Take note, Matthew 18, 18 is not a verse in isolation. To understand Matthew 18, 18, what do we need to do? We need to look at what? The context, we need to look at the verses before and the verses what? After, after. is it okay if you do that? Yes. Because the Bible can be dangerous if you just take a verse in isolation and make your own conclusions. You never do that. When you look at a passage, look at before, look at after, and then look what it, mean, what it means. Compare scriptural truth with scripture. So Matthew eighteen eighteen 18, says binding and loosing what does that mean? Let's read first Matthew eighteen fifteen and 17 to get the context of this passage. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more. And by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word must be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to thee. Church, but if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. So that's the context of the verse. And so before you read Matthew 18, 18, you read Matthew 18, 15 to 17. What is 15 to 17 all about? It's about what to do when there are disputes, when there are cases among the brethren. Very much like what the judges during the days of Exodus had to do, right? This is why it's so crucial to know the laws and the commandments of God. And so when you look at the context, it's about dispute. It's about cases and what to do if there's a case. What's the protocol when it comes to a case or a dispute? Number one, you talk to the person who's involved, right? Try to resolve Face-to-face, mano a mano, without involving anyone else. It's between the two of you. If that doesn't work, what do you do? You get some witnesses. If that doesn't work, what do you do? You go give it to the church. And so the judges or the advisors, they will listen to the case, and they will make a decision. If that decision is rejected, Bible says, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. So there's a process When it comes to dispute resolution or case resolution, right? There's a process. And who mediates the process? Who is the one who gets to decide concerning the dispute or the case? It is the church leaders. Why? Because assumingly, they know the word of God, right? And so they're the ones who's going to listen. And they're the ones who will give advice. That's why they're called judges and advisors based upon the word of God. And so as they listen to the dispute or the conflict and they come up with a solution, how will they base their solution upon? How will they give a solution to the problem between two brethren who are fighting with each other? How do you do that? Let's read verse 18. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you lose on earth will be loose in heaven. And so the binding and the loosing, it does not involve writing or erasing in the book of life in heaven. It's about finding out God's law concerning a case between two brethren, binding and loosing. What is the proof? You now we read Matthew 18:18 in 18, 18 New King James but there are other translations in the holy bible and so i would just like to look at the other translations of Matthew 18:18 18, 18, and i want you to keep in the back of your mind the context what is the passage all about it's about resolving conflicts right between brethren who have a dispute against one another this is what it says in Matthew 18:18 18, 18 in the nlt i tell you the truth whatever you Forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven instead of using binding and loosing What does it use Forbid. What else permit now before I go to the next passage? I just want you to understand the laws of God consists of two parts, right? prohibition When God says do not do something and also when God says do something commission Right? Do something. Do not do something. What's an example of a command that says do something? Worship God. How about do not do something? Do not worship worship graven images. And so we have an example here of what to do and what not to do. Remember, the church leaders, they're going to look for God's law and find out what God wants and what God does not. Want. Okay, It says here, I tell you the truth, whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. Whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. In the TV, this is what it says. And so I tell tell all of you, what you prohibit on earth will be prohibited in heaven. And what you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. In the Moffat translation, I tell you truly, whatever you prohibit on earth will be prohibited in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Heaven, the NCV, this is what it says. I tell you the truth. The things you don't allow on earth will be the things God does not allow. And the things you allow on earth will be the things that God allows. Phillips, new translation, believe me, whatever you forbid upon earth will be what is forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be what is permitted in heaven. So when you look at the other translations of the Holy Bible, that doesn't use binding and loosing, what words do they use? Forbid, permit. And so when they're looking at the case and looking at the word of God to make a proper resolution of the case, what are they looking for? They're looking for God's laws that will allow us to know what God forbids and what God permits concerning the case, to make a decision about the dispute. This is why in the book of Exodus, 1820-22, the Bible says you should teach them God's commands, how they should live, what they should do. These are the leaders of the people who will serve as judges. When they solve difficult cases and disputes, what will they have to do? They have to go to the word of God. And from the word of God, they will find out what does God forbid, what does God permit. That's the binding and losing. So binding is proclaiming God's, what God's words prohibit, not allow, or forbid, okay? It's not adding or printing the name of someone on earth, and then God prints his name in heaven. That's not what binding is, right? And for losing is proclaiming what God's words allow or permit. It's not erasing your name on the registry, and God erases the name in the book of life. That's not what the Bible says. Binding and loosing Binding represents proclaiming what God's words allow or what God's words prohibit, not allow, or forbid. Loosing is proclaiming what God's words allow or permit. Isn't that clear? That's the purpose of the binding and the loosing. It is to take care of God's people, telling them what they should do next if they are in conflict with one another in accordance with the will and the teachings of God. However, there's something that's kind of a, mysterious about this passage, Matthew 18, verse 18. I want you to look at it. Knowing that binding and loosing means to determine from God's words what is allowable and what is permitted, okay? There's something in there that is very mysterious and makes you kind of think twice about it. Do you notice something? What do you notice about the passage? When you look at it closely, the two, things that kind of, the, two, the two things that kind of stand out is that, will be, will be. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound, will be bound in heaven. Whatever you lose on earth will be loose in heaven. Why is that statement kind of iffy? Why? Because it makes God obedient to people on earth, right? Whatever you bind on earth, okay, God's going to bind in heaven. Whatever you lose on earth, okay, God's going to lose in heaven. And so it's as though God is following the lead of human beings here on earth. Right? And so you might you look at that verse, something's wrong with that passage. Right? Because we know, Lord Yahushua said in Matthew 6.10, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So it's heaven first, earth follows. Right? Heaven first, Earth next. Not Earth first, and then the Heaven follows. That's not the way it works. Because if you apply that with the conception that the Executive Minister has authority to bind on Earth and bound in Heaven, or to meddle with the Book of Life, then it's as though he controls God. (laughs) Whatever I approve, God will approve. (laughs) Isn't that what we see in so many churches today, right? Different religious organizations today. Whatever the church leader says and does, it's approved by God. That's not the way it works. What it's, what should be is you see what God approves, and that's what you do, right? That's the way it ought to be. This is why when we look at Matthew 18, 18 in other translations of the Bible, This is what it looks like. Matthew 18, 18 in the NCV. Look what it says. I tell you the truth. The things you don't allow on earth will be the things God does not allow. The things you allow on earth will be the things that God does allow. And so it begins where? In heaven. It begins with the word of God that God from heaven has already declared, found in the Bible. It begins there. So you look there and from there, you make a decision concerning issues on earth. Right? Begins in heaven. What else? Another translation. Whatever you bind on earth is already bound in heaven. In other words, whatever you, whatever you, whatever you decide to not allow or, or forbid on earth, was already forbidden in heaven? You can already find the word of God for that. Okay? Whatever you lose on earth is already loosed in heaven and ASB says here, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. And so it begins in heaven. And we on earth, we follow heaven's plan. We follow God's word, not the other way around. God's not gonna follow man. God's not gonna follow the executive minister. The executive minister should follow our almighty God. Does it make sense? It makes perfect sense because it's biblical, right? And this passage here in the uh, Amplified translation really hits at home. Matthew 18, 18 in the Amplified. Truly I tell you, whatever you forbid and declare to be improper and unlawful on earth must be what is already forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit and declare proper and lawful on earth must be what is already permitted in heaven. And so we get an idea of the meaning of binding and loosing and where it comes from. It comes from the authority of God's word. And so the process of binding and loosing is not writing your name in heaven. No, the process of binding and loosing is the process of searching the Bible, the word of God that came from heaven to determine what God forbids, to determine what God allows concerning a given dispute case or an issue, right? This is why we need to really understand the word of God. Because if we don't know the word of God, we can be enslaved by people who will manipulate that passage and try to intimidate us and cause us to fear. Brethren, do not be afraid because we have the word of God to rely on. And so the more we rely on the Word of God, when we look at the Word of God. We're no longer afraid because now we know the truth. And as the saying goes, the truth will set you what free. Because a person can be easily enslaved when they don't know the truth. Okay. And as a matter of fact, if a person, even a person who has authority to declare, you know, this is God. This is allowed by God, or this is permissible by God, but this is not allowed by God. Even they have. Absolute, they can also have power, right? And the Lord Yahusha gives us something so that this kind of authority to interpret or explain scripture, knowing what is allowable and now what not allowable, so that they will not be so that they will not use it to abuse the church. This is what Yahusha says. I tell you the truth, the things you don't allow on earth will be the things God does not allow. And the things you allow on earth will be the things that God allows. I want to pause there for a while. What if someone who studies the Bible and is given the authority to make decisions concerning disputes, what if they, what if they twist the scripture so that it reflects a personal bias on their own agenda? Is that possible? That's also possible, right? They can, use the scripture but twist it and say to the people look this is what god's word says therefore this is what needs to be done and so even then it can be abused misused and so yahushua gives a safeguard this is why i told you when you look at matthew eighteen eighteen, look at the verses before and look at the verses after right and so let's look at Matthew 18 19 yes there are people who are given authority in the church to make decisions concerning disputes by looking at the word of God ministers the advisors the judges yes they're given authority because it's assumed they know the word of God right but this is also what Yahushua says in verse 19 also I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about something and pray for it it will be done for you by my father in Heaven. So what does Yahusha want? There has to be a deliberation. Not one man making a decision. That's why Yahushua says, if two of you on earth agree, and before you can agree, you have to deliberate. You cannot just make a decision without a deliberation. And so to avoid the misuse of authority, there's not one person who makes a decision for the church. No, because that one person can abuse the authority. This is why it says two of you on earth agree, right? What else? The Bible says pray for it. In other words, invoke the help of our almighty God. This is why when we look at the book of Exodus, there are times when a decision is made only if God intervenes, right? Even during our time. This is why any decision concerning disputes, any decision concerning an issue in the church, it needs to go to God. You need to pray for it. Not only that, and this is the best part, verse 20, because in that passage involving Matthew 18, 18, this is the the bottom line. This is the bottom line. Because there will be people who will say i have the authority to look at scripture and determine what god allows and what god permits and what god does not allow right but sometimes it can be mistaken does that does that happen yeah and so the bottom line is what is approved what god ratifies what is what is godly this is what yahusha says in verse 20 this is true because if two or three people come together in my name i endear with them it must be in fellowship with who yahushua because if yahushua is not in on the decision it doesn't matter what these people are making it doesn't matter what decision these people are making you're expelled from the church you can no longer do this you're going to hell you, you're you're not going to be saved it doesn't matter what they say because if they're not in fellowship with yahushua it's null and void right so the bottom line is it has to be approved by who? Yahusha HaMashiach. This is why during our time, there will be decisions that only Yahusha can really make. Before we can bind or loose, before we can proclaim what God does not allow and what God allows concerning a matter, it has to be through the leadership of Yahusha HaMashiach because even the days of Moses, look at this, in Exodus eighteen nineteen, it is right for you to represent the people before God and bring their disputes to him. And in verse 22, they can bring all the difficult cases to you. Who is that you referred to there? Who is that you? Moses. In Exodus. Moses. Why Moses? Because he was the mediator back then between the people of God and God. So he took on the difficult cases. During our time, do we have a mediator? yeah who is he not the executive minister not any of the ministers we're all subservient to the true executive minister who is that yahusha yahusha no one else this is why when we have difficult cases difficult issues and we search the scripture and the answer is not readily evident what must we do we must rely we must rely on the decision of yahusha HaMashiach, because he is our true executive of the church, not Moses, Yahusha HaMashiach. Before it was Moses for the people of Israel. Today, it's Yahusha HaMashiach. No one else do not accept any replacement for Yahusha HaMashiach. Wait a minute. How can Yahusha, who's in heaven, help us with disputes and cases and problems and issues, especially if it's controversial? (laughs) Let's read the book of uh, John 16, 13, and 14. When, however, the Spirit comes who reveals the truth about God, he will lead you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but he will speak of what he hears and will tell you of things to come. He will give me glory because he will take what I say and tell it to you. How can Yahushua, Messiah, the Christ who is in heaven and we on earth continue to lead us when there are disputes and cases and problems and issues that come up by means of the spirit. You see, Yahusha knows we're gonna encounter situations we've never encountered before. This is why, even though Yahusha is in heaven, he guides us by what? By means of his spirit. How else? By means of the truth. And so the spirit will lead us to the truth that's recorded in what book? The Bible. And so, brethren, the process, I want you to look at this passage because this explains it. The process of binding and losing is not adding or subtracting from the book of life. No man has a power or authority except Yahushua the Christ. The process of binding and losing is the process of searching the Bible to determine what God forbids, what God allows concerning a dispute, a case, or an issue as guided by the true executive of the church, Lord Yahushua, through the power of the Holy, spirit which leads us into all truth and the truth of god's word that is what must be obeyed and followed so that's binding and loosing now is there a case example of binding and loosing a process that lord yahushua through the holy spirit is mentioned in the bible there is and this example will kind of bring everything home okay this is what it says in the book of Acts 15:1 to 2. Some men came from Judea to Antioch, okay, and started teaching the believers you cannot be saved unless you are circumcised as the law of Moses requires. Paul and Barnabas got into a fierce argument with them about this. So it was decided that Paul and Barnabas and some of the others in Antioch should go to Jerusalem and see the apostles and elders about this matter. And there is a problem. Right? Is there a dispute here? Remember, Yahushua gave the protocols for dispute for dispute resolution, right? the binding and loosing for dispute resolution. There's a dispute. What is this dispute about? There were teachers from Judea who went to Antioch. What did they preach? For the Gentiles to be saved, they need to be circumcised. But Paul and Barnabas disagreed. and said, no, they don't need to be circumcised. So what do we have? We have a dispute. Right? And so what did they decide to do concerning the dispute? To go to Jerusalem. Why? Because the apostles and the elders are there and they can talk about the issue. And so the issue was brought to the attention of the leaders of the church. What happened next? Acts 15, 6 to 11. The apostles and the elders met together to consider this question. After a long debate, guess who stands up? Peter. Peter stood up and said, my friends, you know that a long time ago, God chose me from among you to preach the good news to the Gentiles so that they could hear and believe. God, who knows the thoughts of everyone, showed his approval of the Gentiles by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he had to us. He made no difference between us and them. He forgave their sins because they believed. So then why do you now want to put God to the test by laying a load on the backs of the believers which neither our ancestors nor we ourselves were able to carry. No, we believe and are saved by the grace of the Lord Yahushua, just as they are. So what did Apostle Peter say? He was giving a testimony about the Gentiles. He was saying to them, you know, they should not have to be subjected to circumcision because they already received the Holy Spirit, Right? And in addition to that, Apostle Paul and Barnabas gave what report? Verse 12, the whole group was silent as they heard Barnabas and Paul report all the miracles and wonders that God had performed through them among the Gentiles. And so here's Peter mentioning the Holy Spirit. Here's Paul and Barnabas mentioning the miracles that happened in the Gentile lands. And so when they were discussing the issue, James, what did he say to basically get involved or involve himself in the decision making process. Acts 15, 13, 19. When they had finished speaking, James spoke up. What does he say? Listen to me, my friends. It is my opinion, James went on, that we should not trouble the Gentiles who we're turning to God. And so what was when they had the discussion or deliberation about what to do? Because there's a dispute going on. Should the Gentiles be circumcised or not? There's a dispute. And so the issue was brought to the attention of the elders and the apostles and they deliberated. And what was the opinion of James? He said, it's my opinion, we should not trouble the Gentiles who so are turning to God. So what was the decision? The decision that was made was the Gentiles no longer need to be what? Circumcised. Circumcised. But before coming up with that decision, what guided that decision? Let's read Acts 15, 28. The Holy Spirit and we have agreed not to place any additional burdens on you. Do only what is necessary. And so what guided them in making that decision? Yahusha. Through what? Yeah. This is why difficult cases like this has to be brought to the attention of Yahusha, who is our mediator. And he gave the answer by means of his spirit. When Yahushua sends the spirit to give us an answer, what does that mean? What did the spirit live, led them to do? Well, let's read. Acts 15, 13 or 18. When they had finished speaking, James spoke up. Listen to me, my friends. Simon had just explained how God first showed his care for the Gentiles by taking from among them a people that belong to him. The words of the prophets agree completely with this as the scripture says. I want to pause there for a while. Remember when there's a dispute in Matthew 18:18? 18, 18, who has to have the blessing? Yahusha. Right? How does he give us his blessing in direction and guidance? By means of his spirit. What does the spirit do? Leads us to the truth because remember it must be heaven first earth follows it has to be like that not to make a decision on earth and we tell god to prove it that's not how it works you find out what god wants you do it the spirit leads us to what god wants just like here the spirit led the apostles and elders to what god wants So, the spirit how did the spirit lead them to what god wants as the scripture says what does that mean at this point james is quoting a prophecy where amos 9 12 isn't that beautiful the answer was there all along the spirit just had to get involved yahushua just had to get involved so that the spirit can lead them to the answer in prophecy this is why people who say you don't need to study the Old Testament, I feel bad for them because they're missing out on a lot. God uses all of Scripture to get to direct us. Here's James, here's a, a big problem with the church, there's a dispute. And the answer all along was in scripture. Amos, the book of Amos, the prophet. As the scripture says, notice the quotes. After this, I will return, says the Lord, and restore the kingdom of David. I will rebuild its ruins and make it strong again. And so all the rest of the human race will come to me, all the Gentiles, whom I have called to be my own. So says the Lord who made this known long ago. And so James and the other apostles, they made a decision, which they agreed with the Holy Spirit about, because it, it directed them to this prophecy in Scripture. And so it's from heaven to earth, not earth to heaven. Heaven to earth, right? And so they make a decision. And so what was that decision? Acts 15, 22, 23. Then the apostles and the elders together with the whole church decided to choose some men from the group and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose some, yeah, they chose two men who were highly respected by the believers. Judas called Bar, Barsabbas and Silas. And they went and they sent the following letter by them. This is the letter. It's a pastoral letter. It says, we, the apostles and elders, your brothers, send greetings to all our brothers of Gentile birth who live in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. So they give a pastoral letter. In that pastoral letter, it was read to the Gentiles because in that pastoral letter comes a decision. Remember the protocol in Matthew 18, 18? Right? The church will give a decision after deliberation, through prayer, and direction of Yahusha through the Spirit that leads to the truth of the Word of God. And so the truth has led them to this decision. They make a pastoral letter. In the pastoral letter, what does it say? 28 to 29. The Holy Spirit. And we have agreed not to put any burden on you besides these necessary rules. Eat no food that has been offered to idols. Eat no blood. Eat no animal that has been strangled and keep yourselves from sexual immorality. You will do well if you take care not to do these things with, with our best wishes. Isn't that a nice letter? That's a pastoral letter. And what do you notice about this pastoral letter? It contains the binding and the Lucy. Do you see the binding and the Lucy? Yeah? What's the binding? Eat no food. Remember what binding means? Prohibit. What does God prohibit? here's an issue there's a dispute should the gentiles be circumcised that was a dispute and so what had to happen we needed to know what god binds what god loses what god does not permit what god does allow and so what is the binding eat no food this is god what god forbids eat no food that has been offered to idols eat no blood eat no animal that has been strangled and keep yourselves from sexual immorality well how about the loosing what is that freedom from (laughs) circumcision And so the binding and the loosing is the proclaiming of the word of God. that shows what is allowed, what is not allowed. And so when this message was given to the Gentiles in Antioch, what happened? The messengers were sent off and went to Antioch, where they gathered a whole group of believers and gave them the letter. When the people read it, they were filled with joy with a message of encouragement. Were they happy? Yeah. Why? Because it was blessed by the Holy Spirit and by Yahusha Hamashiach. It's from heaven to earth. When you make a decision for the church that's not top down but bottom up, it's not going to lead to a happy group of believers. And I think we know that happens a lot, right? And so they were happy. They were blessed by God by means of the Holy Spirit. So what we can see here is the purpose of binding and loosing brethren is not to intimidate members but to take care of him through the knowledge, the preaching of that knowledge of God's words because God's words tell us what is allowed and what is not allowed. Binding and loosing, right? This is why when we look at the three myths, they have been debunked. What do you think? Yeah. Number one, is the book of life the church registry? No way. God is not gonna entrust but take the in the uh, hands of men <laughs> something that involves the Book of Life. This is why it's the Book of Life in heaven. Uh, number two, the executive minister has the authority to add or subtract the Book of Life in heaven. Is that being debunked? Absolutely. There's no way he has an authority. I don't, otherwise, he would be the, the Christ. And if he even claims that authority, he would be the Antichrist. Anyone who does that will be the one who makes a claim that they have power over the Book of Life. They are the Antichrist. Okay. Number three, the binding and loosing refers to the adding and subtracting of names from the book of life. No way. It refers to the preaching of the word of God so that we will know what God allows and does not allow. Okay. And so we have debunked it, but we haven't answered the most important question. We're almost done. important question I want to pose all of you is this after debunking debunking these three myths about Matthew 18 18 the question I hope is in your thoughts right now is this question but before I show you the next slide what do you think the next question is the final question for the day what would you want to know (laughs) after these myths have been debunked what would you want to know because before we were confident. I have a name card, right? There are even those who, when they die in their coffin, they have a name card with them, right? I have a name card, therefore I'm saved. This is the proof I'm in the book of life, the name card, right? And so they place their faith on the name card. They place their faith on the book of life. But that's not true. Those are all myths. And so here's a question I want to ask you. What should, be, what should be our next question? What should it be? What's needed to be in the Bible? Yes. How can I be sure that my name is in the book of life in heaven, right? That's the question I would love to find the answer for. Is it in the Bible? Yeah. What does it say? Revelation chapter 105. But I'm going to read verse 5 first. The one, those who win the victory, will be dressed in white clothes like them. And I will not erase their names from the book of life, but I will say they belong to me before my father and before his angels. Who's the one speaking there? Yahusha. What does Yahusha say? I will not erase their names from the book of life. What does that mean? He holds the book of life in his hands. How then can you make sure your name is in the book of life? We should seek to please the one who holds the book of life in his hands. Who is that? Yahusha. Yahusha. You see, instead of placing our faith in the registry, we should place our faith in the one who holds the registry, right? Who holds the book of life in his hands. This is why if our confidence in our salvation is based on the registry, then we don't really have faith in Yahushua HaMashiach. If we truly have faith in Yahusha HaMashiach, we need to depend on him and him alone to be the one who can give us salvation because he has authority. He says he has the book of life and he says, I will not erase their names. When Yahusha says he will not erase our names, then it's not going to be erased. It doesn't matter who tells you otherwise. What matters is what Yahusha says. And so, how can, we be, be, how can we make sure that Yahusha is on our side? That we are on his side, right? Well, Yahusha said, you have to win what? What does it say? You have to win the victory. And he added something else. And I want you to take notice of He said, he wants us to be like them. See, Yahusha says, these people whom he refers to as like them, they will not be erased from the Book of Life. Instead, Yahushua will say they belong to me and they will, he will confess their names before the father and his angels. Who are they? Those whom Yahushua says, I want you to be like them. You want to have your names in the Book of Life? You need to be like them. Who was Yahusha HaMashiach referring to when he said like them? Next slide. So it says, write this to the angel of the church in Sardis, verse 4, but you have a few there in Sardis who have kept their clothes on stain. So they walk with me and wear, and wear white clothes because they are worthy. How can we be like them? Who are the them referred to by Lord Jehusha? The few, not the many. What does it say? The few. You notice, throughout scripture, there's the emphasis on only a few are going to be saved. Nehusha is telling us, there's a few there in Sardis. When it says, a few there in Sardis, what is it referring to? The church in Sardis. So what happened to the majority? The majority are not worthy. Who are worthy? The few. Why? Because they were victorious. How are they victorious? Because their clothes remain unstained. So Yahushua says, we need to be like the few who were different from the rest of the church in Sardis. To be victorious, to make sure the clothes are unstained. What does that mean? What does it mean that we must be like the few? What are the few? What were they able to do? Well, let's read verse three. So do not forget what you have received and heard. Obey it and change your hearts. And lives so you must wake up or I will come like a thief and you will not know when I will come to you so how can we be like the few who are worthy to walk with the lamb because of clothes were not stained how can we be like the few it says there when we receive the Word of God what do we do with it we obey it and let the Word of God change our hearts and our lives it's unfortunate. There's so many people who have re- been receiving the word of God for such a long time. But when you look at their life, when you look at their speech, you can't even tell, right? It's like they go to church, receive the word of God, leave. They do, the, they do this year after year after year until they die. But there's no corresponding change in the heart. No corresponding change in the way they live. And Yahushua says to them, what? Wake up. Wake up! You see, those who are worthy to walk with him, those whose names will not be erased from the book of life, are the ones who receive the word of God. And the word of God is able to change their heart and change their life. They're the ones who will be like the few. And Yahushua tells us to watch out or wake up. He wants us to wake up. And if there is a time for us to wake up, it is now. Why? Why is the instruction to the church in Sardis to wake up? Well, let's read verse 2, wake up. Michael says, Wake up, make yourself stronger before what you have left dies completely. I have found that what you are doing is less than what my God wants. What does Yehusha? why does he instruct the church in Sardis to wake up? Because the majority of them, they're not living according to what God wants. There's only a very small remnant left. And he's telling this church in Sardis, You better wake up before it completely goes. And so we're speaking here of the church in apostasy, almost complete apostasy. But there's a few, a few who are different from the rest. And Yahushua says, I want all of you to be saved. I want you to wake up. Because if they will not wake up, if they will not be like the few, then he will come like a thief. And they, will perish why does Yahusha say that what you have left dies completely what happened to the majority what happened to the majority of the church in Sardis well let's read in verse one the one who has the seven spirits and the seven stars says this I know what you do people say that you are alive but really you are dead this church in Sardis is like many churches today on the outside we have the reputation of being alive. We have the glorious lights, the prosperity that shines. And so people say, that is a live church, man. That is an awesome church. That's the one that belongs to God. Look at, the, look at our accomplishments. Look at the prosperity. They have a reputation of being a live church. But Yahushua says, but in reality, or are what? Yeah, be careful, brethren. Sometimes we just follow the motions. We don't wake up. You know how you can tell if someone's not awoken, if someone's not waking up yet? They do things without really thinking about it. That's the definition of a walking zombie, person sleepwalking. They walk, but they're not thinking. Whatever everyone else is doing, that's what they do. Whatever everyone else is saying, that's what they say. They're not thinking of themselves. You're not going to win the victory like that. You know she says? Wake up. Why? So that you can win the victory. How do you win the victory? You don't be like the rest. Follow the example of the few. The few who follow Yahushua HaMashiach, who let the word of God change their heart and change their life. They're the ones of whom Yahusha says, I will not erase your names from the book of life. And I will confess your names before my father and before his angels, because you belong to me. You want to have your names in the book of life? Be faithful to Yahushua Mashiach, our Christ, our Messiah. That is our lesson. Let us all stand, brethren, and we shall pray together. Everlasting Father. Yes, Father. Gracious God, indeed, all answers Concerning all our questions, yes. pertinent to our salvation, can be found in your book. Amen. It is there somewhere. Yes. If only we will wake up and look for ourselves, the truth will shine through. Yes. Because it is your promise for those who seek you and seek your words. Yes. Father, we need your help. Yes. Bless us with your wisdom. Yes. Bless yes. us with your spirit. Yes. We can live. Only because of you, Yahusha, our Lord, our King. Yes, you hold the book of life in your hands. Yes, and so we place our trust in you. Yes. Not in the registry of men, <laughs> not in the authority of humans here on earth, but you yes. and you alone. Amen. You have been placed by the Father to be our leader, our mediator, to be yes. our king. And so we profess faith in you, please. Remember all of us. Yes. Remember our names. Do not remove our names from the book of life. Yes. Confess our names before the Father. Yes. Yahushua, we trust you. We will follow you and your voice. Yes. Yes, you call upon us to wake up and to stand our ground, to resist any works of evil. Yes. You want us to be truly alive by letting the words of our Father transform us from the inside yes. out. We will do our best, Lord, Yes, only help us, because sometimes we make mistakes. Yes. Our weaknesses overtake us. Yahusha, yes. please help us yes, that we can win, be victorious, and overcome this wicked world. Ah. Father, bless your people all yes, over the Lord. world those who are going through many difficult times yes those afflicted by illness those who are sick because of COVID-19 father heal them all heal us all father may your spirit be upon us yes that we can quickly recover have the strength to worship you forever thank you so much for your message we have renewed faith indeed We want to please you. Yes. You are our God. And we place our trust in you and your son. We ask and beg everything, Father, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahushua Hamashiach. Amen. Amen.